Yeah, yeah. Ball so hard, you better believe me, it's scary. It's basketball at the bar with Calvin and Barry. So put a tip in the jar, cause these dudes can really fill it up. Whether it's buckets you need enough just a beer in a cup. We're here, for fresh conversations, got some delicious libations. Subscribe to the channel and turn on the notifications. My boys, got you covered like you being guarded by pay. From the glove to the cloth, and everyone else in between. Calvin and Barry got everything that you need. So sit back, relax, because we're starting the show. It's basketball at the bar, grab your drinks and let's go. Yeah, yeah. Grab a drink and let's go. Subscribe to the channel and turn on the notification. Subscribe to the channel and turn on the notification. Let's get it. What up, ballers? Welcome to Basketball at the Bar. Join us live every weekday for the best NBA podcast here on YouTube. Where the takes are hot and the drinks are cold, there's no dress code, and you can take us wherever you go. So pull up a stool, drop a like, and don't forget to subscribe. This is Basketball at the Bar. Grab your drinks, and let's go. Calvin, was that better or worse than the first one? <laughs> it was much better. Okay, good. Much I forgot better. to hit the live button, so we're doing a second take here. But welcome in, everybody. Mike, what's up? Good to see you guys. Uh, thank you all for joining us on another episode. It's an exciting Thursday. We're going to recap yesterday's game, uh, the unfortunate injury to Steph Curry. We're going to talk about the Suns' COVID outbreak during Game 7 uh, of the round before this. We're going to talk about LeBron and uh, his ownership hopes for the NBA and a potential city that he's named. We're going to go over the top five draft picks here in order as, uh, as long as like one of these mock drafts go. <laughs> And then we're going to finish with Keyword Q. one of these mock drafts. Yeah, yeah, because they're all different <laughs> right now. So yeah. uh, I think we're going to go for Tankathon. Also, real quick, so you guys know, uh, not sure about tomorrow's scheduled broadcast yet. Uh, Calvin and I will be doing some traveling. So all you got to do is go to Twitter and follow B-Ball at the Bar, and uh, you'll get all your updates on every show. You can also hit that notification bell on YouTube, and you'll get notified. But welcome in, Calvin. Happy Thursday. Happy Thursday, Barry. How's your morning so far? Great. Good? Went to the Civic Center again. I, I can't get enough. I'm addicted again, all, right. all over again. It's like uh, being reborn a little bit, you know? That's, that's awesome. All right. Uh, let's jump right into it, right? Should we talk about Game 3 first? Yeah. That's the freshest in my mind. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about it. So Game 3 in Boston... First game in Boston in this series, the Boston Celtics win 116-110. They now lead the series 2-1. Draymond Green gets ejected, like I uh, predicted. Fouled out, didn't he? Well, same thing. Okay. He, he got ejected when you say from too he gets many. Ejected, sorry. That's a very he different. He fouled out and was ejected yeah. for having six personal yes. fouls. Yes. Just like I predicted on this show <laughs> yesterday. Steph Curry is injured late in the game. We'll talk about that. Uh, and Jason Tatum is finally bouncing back to his normal self. 26 points for him, 27 for Jalen Brown, who's looking like potentially the MVP of this series, 24 for Marcus Smart, like Calvin predicted. And uh, Boston wins this game. Calvin, what are your first thoughts? My first thoughts are the Warriors are in trouble. Um, Boston, I mean, again, this was a home game for them, so we all expected the others, the the Al Horfords, the Marcus Smarts, to play much better. Um, but Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, particularly Jalen Brown, were phenomenal in this game. 
they turned the Warriors into a jump shooting team. They completely flipped the script on what has been status quo so far for the first two games. They absolutely dominated in the paint. And a, a big reason why is they decided, I don't know if Robert Williams is just much more healthy now or Boston is doubling down on what their best lineup is, but we saw you know them be hesitant to want to play both Williams and Horford together at times. Mm-hmm. They stuck with that to, in this game three, and it really, really worked for them. They were great inside. They dominated on the offensive glass as well, which is something that the Warriors have had the advantage in so far in this series. And they took care of the ball, which is what we said was their biggest uh, goal for this game. Only 12 turnovers. They're now 14-2 and two in the postseason when they turn the ball over 15 times or less. So the Warriors are in trouble. Because Wiggins and Clay Thompson actually played pretty well in this game. Yep. But again, they turned them into jump shooters. They uh, completely walled off the paint from Golden State, which is a big part of, of what they do offensively. And you know now with Curry, who has been the, the only real bright spot for this team in this finals, being hurt, mm-hmm. he says it's not as bad as the first time and all that stuff, and he's going to play. Um, but you know we'll have to see how he looks in game four. Yeah, and he missed 12 games at the end of the regular season dealing with this same injury that happened against the Boston Celtics. He says it's not as bad. What does that really mean, right? Like if it's yeah. half as bad, does that mean he misses six games? Well, and if, even <laughs> if it was as bad or worse, you know, he's it's probably not going to say that yeah. right after game three at a press conference on national TV. That, you yeah. know, that, why would you give away that information? And the last time your team was in the finals, you watched Kevin Durant go down with an Achilles injury after he had been playing injured. You saw Clay Thompson go down with a knee, knee injury after he had been playing injured. You can't sit out and say, my foot hurts. You can't. No. What an amazing game this was. Boston got out to a hot start early. Golden State comes back. The third quarter got me a little worried, Calvin. I was kind of like, uh-oh, here we go again. This yep. is just like game one and just like game two. Golden State controls the third quarter. They play extremely well. But Boston was able to withstand the punches and come back and have an amazing fourth quarter, only, only allowing 11 points and scoring 23. Uh, they basically closed out this game. The last five minutes of it was almost a no contest. Boston was scoring every time they needed to down the court. We saw Curry go down. We saw Draymond Green foul out. And uh, (laughs) Boston just runs away with the game. Yeah. Yeah, they did. Um, Draymond Green, man. Another triple single. Another triple single. He's really hurting them right now. Really hurting them a lot. Uh, you know, defensively, he's always been really good. I, I think he's starting to lose a step or two. He doesn't look to be – he doesn't seem to have the same elevation off the floor, uh, which for an undersized shot blocker is a, a big problem, right? Yeah. Um, and also just his mentality is, is still the same. I mean, y- you watch some of the – some plays during this game, the dude looks like he's playing football a- out there. Like it – he forearm shivers Tatum in the back of the head on a, on the free throw line going for a rebound. And then he pretty much tackles Marcus Smart in the open court during that scrum that yeah. Curry gets hurt on. Yeah. It got called for one foul there out of the two. I, I mean, look, this, this guy is – he had some bad turnovers in this game as well. He is not the same Draymond Green as 
the the team that won three out of four championships. Oh yeah, it's definitely been four years for him right. age wise. Right. The stat line is funny: one block, two points, three assists, four rebounds. I wish it was five turnovers and six personal right. fouls. He could have had one through six handled there. Oh, and zero steals. So you can throw the zero in there too. But yeah, for me, uh, you know, all the athletic stuff that the getting older stuff aside, Draymond Green just seems to me to be emotionally out of the game. Um, I don't know if it's the fans or the players or it's something internally that's happening with him, but his motivation seems to be more of like wanting to create contact and get in altercations than he cares about scoring or winning a basketball game. Like, don't get me wrong. He wants to win. He loves to win. But it seems like when he's on the court, his primary focus is to agitate, to irritate, and just to, like, get into it with everybody that he can. Well, if you're a guy that's aging and losing some of your physical abilities, but you've always been that guy you know the instigator the that stuff is going to come out more more and more it works when you can back it up it does and he i mean all in all fairness to draymond he's got a really difficult um task in this finals playing as at times the warrior center against guys like al horford and robert williams Uh, it's it's a difficult matchup for him but I, i think the the celtics are are letting Draymond and the Warriors play right into their hands right now. Yeah. And, and it just goes back to what I said before this series started in that when Boston is at full strength, I just feel like they're the better team. And that's what it looked like yesterday. You know, the Warriors made their runs. Uh, they had the great third quarter. Steph gets hot. Clay gets hot for a little bit. And, you know, because it's the Warriors, like, oh, man, like you said, here we go. Yeah. Here they come again. Um, but the Celtics outplayed them for – 95% of this game. Yeah. And this is the first game in the series where I think that's been the case for one team. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And it's a home game, the first game in Boston, which totally makes sense. Did you hear the comments about uh, Draymond Green's podcast and maybe how that could have some implications on the series? I know after game two on his podcast, he basically broke down how they're guarding a bunch of these guys on the Celtics and what they do to take them off their game. Not that the Celtics watch that podcast, but maybe they do. Maybe they do. It's in the public domain now, right? Um, Kerr said he didn't seem to be concerned, but he also doesn't watch the podcast either. But it's funny, you know, we were just talking about, I think it was last week, about C.J. McCollum becoming a full-time analyst on top of his position as a professional basketball player. Mm -hmm. Draymond Green's doing it on his own. Uh, originally when he started his podcast, he was going to have one episode a week, but now he's doing one episode after every single game. Could this maybe have some effect on him or on the team? Well, could it? Yeah, definitely. If, if he's, um, you know, I'll be honest, I don't watch Draymond's podcast, so I haven't heard the exact specific comments he makes as it pertains to this series and guarding individual players and all that stuff. Um, But if, if he's, saying you know very tactical things or or scheme schematic things and anybody on boston's team watches it that could definitely give them an advantage the question is how much of an advantage right yeah it could definitely help he says 
he's never said anything on there that he wouldn't say in a post-game press conference. And I don't know if I exactly believe that. On one hand, I'm like, it's Draymond Green. He says whatever he wants. Like, And then on the other hand, is like, okay, having a podcast myself, I understand that there is some things I would say on this podcast that I wouldn't say if, let's say, I worked for a team or I was in the league, right? Like, I have a little bit more freedom here. I don't know if he's exercising that at all, but it, it's just an interesting thing to throw in there. And one more distraction for a guy that did not seem to be fully invested in game three. Yeah, yeah. Mike wants to talk about this flagrant foul, and, <clears throat> and I want to talk about it too because I think it was quite interesting. Curry goes up for the three. Al, Al Horford closes out. They both, in my opinion, moved forward, collided, it was called a flagrant foul on Al Horford. Curry made the three, so it ended up turning, I think, into a five-point swing, and they got it possession. It was a seven-point possession in yeah, total. Yeah, and they, they got, got the, the four-point play, had possession, and then hit another three right after it. And they got the fl- the technical, right? Yeah, it's the and one, which is the four-point play on the yeah. three, but yeah. it's a flagrant foul, so it's you retain possession, and then they hit another three. But didn't That's they get a technical points. shot also? No. No? No, it, it's... W- Two shots to make one plus the ball. So, yeah, what a crazy swing in the game. But what are your thoughts on that flagrant foul? Was it a foul? Was it a flagrant foul? Oh, it's definitely a foul. Um, It's not a flagrant foul, in my opinion. But the problem is the way that the rules have changed and and been written over the past couple years, It you know, the Zaza Pachulia rule, basically, right? Yep, that's exactly what I was thinking of. That's what they're going to call now, especially when they have to go to the the replay every time now. Anytime there's a question of it being a flagrant foul, they automatically go to review it. And if you slow it down and look at it 17 times in a row, mm-hmm. you can see the way the written, the rule is written. If you come down in a player's land, airspace, landing space, as they're a jump shooter, that is now defined as a flagrant foul. So I disagree with the rule, Yeah, but that's the rule. Did it look to you like Curry moved forward a little bit? Like, like where is his airspace as far as a landing area? Like, is it where he jumps from, or is it where he's, like, projected to land? The, the more important part is how much ground Al Horford had to cover to close out. Mm-hmm. That's why they met at, at the point of impact. Because Horford is, you know, trying desperately to get out there on the best shooter in the world to put yeah. a hand up. Yeah. And, yes, Curry does move forward a little bit in his jump shot, but Al Horford's momentum, because he has to cover so much ground on the closeout, is why they they end up in the same spot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it was a BS call, personally. I think it was a foul, for sure. But at the same time, it's like, what is Al Horford supposed to do? Right, like yeah, exactly. He wasn't trying to hurt Curry. He wasn't no, trying he's to hit not. Curry. Well, he was again, literally that, trying to block the shot. That's the tough thing about this rule, right, is yeah. that in – Zaza's case, a lot of people think he was trying yeah. to do that. Yeah. But nine times out of ten in a regular game, you know, instances like this happen a lot, mm-hmm. and the defender is not intentionally trying to hurt somebody. They're just trying to get a, a contest on the shot. Or in Horford's case, maybe even a deflection because he's got yeah. such a size advantage, right? So the Zaza it, one's it's, different. It's difficult. Yeah. It's yeah. different. That was like a much closer space. He basically kicked one leg out, didn't move both feet up, and I didn't think he even had a chance to block the shot. But the Horford one for me is much different. The crazy thing about the whole situation for me 
is the fact that Horford is the one that lands on Curry later in the game yeah. and hurts him. Yeah. <laughs> in basically like a scramble for a loose ball. Yeah, which again, you know, that that happens. That's crazy. That is crazy. So it's unfortunate. Uh, you know, like I said, I, I disagree with the rule. I disagree that that is a flagrant foul. I, I mean, to me, a flagrant foul, th- there's got to be... <laughs> There's got to be intent. There's yeah. got to be, um, you know, a non-basketball play, basically. And that is a basketball play. I mean, we see guys now go for the block, trying to intentionally block the ball and hitting the guy in the head, and they call it a flagrant foul. Right. Which, is, which again, it's the way the rule is written. <laughs> yeah. Any stupid. contact, unnecessary or, or a set, uh, what's the word? Excessive contact yeah. to the head or neck region yeah. it, it results in a flagrant foul so so you're saying today's nba is soft calvin is that what you're saying <laughs> no here? that's the not 80s and saying. 90s they weren't calling that's those not things what i'm saying <laughs> we had a fun debate on yesterday's show <laughs> talking about 80s 90s players versus today's players yeah, i guess you could throw 2000s players in there too but quite quite different yes. quite different in a lot of different categories money uh fame rules all sorts of things mm-hmm the Zaza one was completely different because Kawhi Leonard was straight up. Yeah, I agree, 100%. But Progressive G, I, I think you and I also are, are kind of warrior haters, so we, we're a little mixed <laughs> in our uh, in our views on this for sure. But, yeah, interesting play there. What do you think about Draymond fouling out in this game? Um, it really hurts the Warriors. Like, there are some, some of his fouls were – uh, you, you know, like it, it happens. He's a smaller guy trying to bang inside with bigger players, or he has to come out and guard, you know, pr- Tatum on the perimeter, and he's too slow to stay with him, so he yeah. has to reach, something like that. But then, as I mentioned before, you get the fouls where it's like he sees Marcus Smart has the ball on the ground in the middle of everybody, so instead of trying to, like, run around him and, and tie him up for a jump ball, his decision is to just level him completely yeah. to the floor. Like, that's a flagrant foul. That's a technical or something, you know? None of this Al Horford stuff. It's Draymond Green. So, yeah, it's – I mean, the Warriors had foul problems all over the place, not just Draymond. Steph Curry was in foul trouble for pretty much the entire game. Yeah. Yeah, Draymond Green is a very polarizing player. If you're a Warriors fan, you love him, right? Except maybe when he gets ejected or <laughs> or uh, fouls out, and then you're like, "Come on, or Draymond!" Gets suspended for Game Five yeah. of the Finals. Yeah, we need you. We need you. But the way he's going here, he could potentially be suspended for Game Five again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> who knows? A, it's, a couple more uh, tackles. If they get blown out for in loss. one of these other games, especially if it's in Boston, Draymond's going to go nuts. Yeah, I could see that. He's going to go crazy. So, so wild. Well, anything else you want to say on this uh, game? Because we got a busy show. And for you Kings fans out there, we're actually going to be live uh, in about an hour and 15 on Royal Rebound. So make sure you guys check that out afterwards. I think the Warriors have to seriously consider giving Jonathan Kaminga some minutes. Okay. Um, I love that guy. I think he's incredibly talented. I would be interested to talk to Steve Kerr and see what his thoughts are on, like, you know, do you think he's not ready for this stage or is it something that Boston does in particular, why you don't want to play him? But like I said before, Draymond right now, it's kind of like what we were talking about with Kyle Lowry. Is he hurting or helping the team more? Yep. Yep. 
Draymond looks like he's hurting the team more than he's helping them right now. And Kaminga is a guy that has a lot of the same skill set, is a little bit bigger than Draymond, much younger, much more athletic. I would give him a, some run and see if it, it helps at all. Yeah. I mean, it's tough for the Warriors. They're really going really small. They are. Well, that's, that's what they've done yeah. for years. I mean, before they had Kevin Durant, that's what they did. But, too. like, Looney's he only played 17 minutes in this game. Draymond Green played 35 minutes, but he fouled out and was very inefficient, not very effective. But other than that, I mean, you had 21 minutes for Otto Porter Jr. off the bench, 24 for Jordan Poole, and then the rest of these are basically guards. Kaminga got two minutes. Belitza got three minutes. Like, this is an extremely, extremely small team. Yes. And would you want to give maybe Looney some more minutes if you're putting a guy like Kaminga out there or maybe an Otto Porter or Iguodala instead of Draymond? Um, that's tough. I mean, because I love Looney, and he's been so good for them, especially on the offensive glass. But again, the fact that the Celtics are doubling down with two big men, that had a huge impact on how the Warriors were able to attack the offensive glass. When the Warriors have been at their best in this series, they've uh, forced turnovers, gotten out in transition, killed it on the offensive glass, not just by getting an offensive rebound, but the Warriors are one of the best teams maybe ever. At And it helps, obviously, when you have two of the greatest shooters of all time. But the fact that those guys are so good at relocating off of an offensive rebound, mm-hmm. and they, they immediately look for whoever it is, whether it's Poole or Clay or Steph, yep. they find them so quickly. They almost know where they're going to be without even looking. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Warriors just punish teams so much on that because they get a wide-open three-point look. They didn't get either of those opportunities very much last night, and that's why they were trailing for most of the game. They make little runs and get back in it, but because Boston is so sound in the half-court defense, they make two or three stops in a row, and then Golden State had trouble uh, covering any ground last night. Uh, I mean, Marcus Smart hit a bunch of really big threes in the fourth quarter, and Jalen Brown was just, uh, I can't, overstate how good he was last night that one possession with i think there's like four four minutes and 40 seconds left in the fourth quarter mm-hmm. he's on uh clay thompson on the perimeter completely takes away what clay wants to do he gives him every move clay dishes it makes one of those patented cuts right after the pass that yep. they get layup after layup on all the time brown recovers to make a huge block he was so good for them last night Yeah, it's interesting. You know, this Warriors team, there's definitely, like, a head of the snake, right? Like, we would both agree that's Steph Curry. And you take Curry out of his game, it really changes what this Warriors team has to do or does. Versus, like, Boston, I'm not really sure who the head of the snake is. Like, maybe you would say Jason Tatum is the best player on the team, but we've seen moments where he hasn't played that well or hasn't played up to his expectations. And then you have a guy like Marcus Smart or Jalen Brown that are able to just kind of jump in and just take the lead. Jalen Brown is my favorite from the Boston Celtics as far as finals MVP at this point. So just having that luxury of like Tatum, Brown, maybe Smart, maybe Horford, like you have so many different options. I think it really makes it tough on on Golden State. Definitely. And I think that's a a clear example of where these two teams are at in their their time window, right? Like Boston is still ascending. 
both as a team and as individual players. You know, that's that's why the debate is so good right now about mm-hmm. who's better, Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum. They're both they haven't even entered their primes yet, really. Pretty wild. And Golden State on the other side of the coin is that team that is starting to still try to stay in the prime but they're slowly leaving it. So Yeah. And they're they're kind of in that like we want to be good now and we want to be good in the future. So yes. they're like we have old aging players we have a lot of young talent, but it's kind of what you and I talked about. Who's that bridge, right? Like, who yeah. is the bridge keeping them all together? It's not Draymond Green at this point, in my opinion. I would agree with that. It's not. What's up, Key Kings? Good to see you here. Uh, we're going to be live on Royal Rebounds in about an hour talking about all things Sacramento Kings, so make sure you join us for that. Last thing before we move on, adjustments that Golden State should make moving into Game 4. This is tough uh, because I'm not I'm not really sure what else they can do to be honest with you. Uh, I mean, again, they what they need to do or when they've played their best in this series, they've forced Boston into some bad turnovers. Uh, they've gotten out in transition, offensive rebounds, things like that, and they were able to get into the paint and score in this game. This this game three was the biggest disparity in points in the paint so far in this series Boston 52 Golden State 26 the the Warriors are a team that thrives on outscoring their opponent in the paint especially for a team that plays small Mm -hmm. and if Boston's going to keep these two big guys in there that's the luxury of having Robert Williams right because he's not the guy they asked to go extend himself on the perimeter and guard smaller players that's Al Horford Mm -hmm. who one of the biggest uh, topics in this series has been are the Celtics playing the right coverage on Curry in the pick and roll because a lot of times they're using a drop coverage and letting him get an open look for three and he's taken full advantage of that but the, th- the plus side for Boston is they're living with that and limiting everybody else and taking away the paint with Robert Williams back there patrolling we saw he had that big block on Curry yep. uh, in the second half on that floater so, and the reason I say the Warriors are in trouble is because finally Clay Thompson got going. Yep. Andrew Wiggins played a better game. Didn't have a, a phenomenal game by any stretch, but he played a better game offensively. And they still lose by 16. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough. Mike says Draymond is the new buddy. <laughs> uh, uh, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. For me, the key for the Warriors is going to be really difficult because Steph Curry and his health and what that means for them. But if I'm the Warriors, I need to pick up the pace. I need to run Boston out of the gym. I think the only way they get back in this series is if they just up the tempo, they double down on the small lineup, and they just try and run them out of the gym, get a bunch of transition buckets, more points in the paint, like you said. Whatever you can do to not allow Boston to get set in its half-court defense – I think is an advantage for Golden State. Absolutely. But having Curry dealing with an injured foot does not allow them to potentially just keep running all game long. So it's going to be very tough for them. Well, and it, it's how you create those opportunities also. The, the best and easiest way to do that is off of a turnover or a missed yep. field goal, right? And Boston didn't have very many of either of those yesterday. They shot really well, and they didn't turn the ball over. They were much more uh, deliberate with their – their decision-making, their passing. Jason Tatum, um, 
you know, for as as great or as all the accolades that people are talking about Jalen Brown, and, and he deserves him. He played great. I, I think Jason Tatum is not getting enough praise in this series for the way that he's played. He's really taken it on himself to be just the solid rock for this team. Like, mm-hmm. he's not trying to overextend himself or do too much. He's making the right reads. He's taking opportunities when they're there in terms of scoring. Um, he was really great around the rim yesterday, taking advantage of smaller defenders. But it's his ability to find other guys on this team, Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown. That's what's keeping them them alive uh, without the turnovers. Uh, and then Boston, on the other hand, was the better team at off of a made basket or an, an out-of-bounds play or something like that looking to press the issue and force the ball up the court. They caught the Warriors napping a ton of times yep. yesterday. So they're, they're beating the Warriors at their own game right now f- from what you're saying. Yeah, Boston played much better at home. Do you think this uh, basket height might have had anything to do with this game? We talked about it yesterday. Like, apparently the, the Golden State Warriors basket was higher than uh, than it was supposed to be mm-hmm. in pregame warm-ups. They went to adjust it. You see any conspiracy theories there and what Boston's trying to do to throw them off their game? No. I mean, even if they were trying Maybe the to throw boy. them off their game, it didn't work, right? Because the, the Warriors measured the rim, and they, they found out it was ten, it was over 10 feet. Maybe so. it's in their head now. They're like, what's going on? Why did they take all the batteries out of our remotes in the locker room? Yeah. Why does our water <laughs> taste weird? What is going on here? All the cushions are off of our chairs. What is going on? They yeah. turn the AC on in the locker room. When you've been to six finals in eight years, <laughs> you can look past all that stuff, I think, pretty easily. Yes, I agree. Well, in continuing my horrible picks for this offseason, <laughs> uh, because whenever I pick a team, they lose, and whenever uh, I don't pick them, they win, uh, I'm taking Golden State in game four, Calvin. <laughs> How about right. you? I I don't know, man. I, and that means Boston's winning game four. So there you guys <laughs> I I expected this series to to be a long series, so that thought makes me want to pick the Warriors to have a comeback, a bounce back game, and steal one in Boston and even even things up. But not knowing how bad Curry's foot is going to be, and just watching the way this game unfolded, you know, even when Golden State made their runs, Boston came right back with a seven zero or ten two yep. whatever it was run to answer and pull away again and it, it's the the supporting cast for me like curry and and thompson were good in this game but they didn't get a lot of help from anybody else mm-hmm. the celtics Trey got Mungry. their whole starting lineup pretty much went crazy uh yeah. you know robert williams didn't ha- like blow anybody away statistically but al horford and marcus smart were much much better and when those two guys are hitting shots and and being effective on offense with how good Boston is defensively, they're almost impossible to beat. Mm-hmm. So that makes me want to pick Boston. I, and I will take Boston at home again okay. to take a commanding 3-1 lead. Game four is such an integral game. It is so important because, and, you know, I'm, I'm sure Kerr is telling his players this, probably just the younger guys. I'm sure Draymond Green and all these guys are telling this. is like if Golden State wins game four, they're literally going back home with home court advantage and a yeah. tied series. Uh, they're definitely not out of it. They basically yesterday's game does not matter if they are able to win on Friday. No, yesterday's but, game doesn't matter from the, uh, the Warrior standpoint at all 
yeah. anymore. Like, yeah. you, you have to put that game behind you. But if Boston wins game four, they could close the Warriors out in Golden State. Yeah. So game four is, is really, really important. And that game's on Friday. So uh, hopefully uh, you guys will all be available to watch that game. Like I said at the start of the show, still trying to figure out what our schedule is going to be like on Friday, whether we go live on Friday or maybe we do Saturday. Um, but we'll keep you guys posted. Just pay attention to our Twitter account, B-Ball at the bar. Calvin will have all the updates posted there. All right, so we both agree that Boston's winning on Friday, right? <laughs> do we? I mean, I'm picking Golden State because uh, you're, I always... You're defaulting yeah. to... Okay. I'm I'm trying one of those uh, those techniques, you know. You go left yeah. to go right. Yeah, I I would like to see more games here, but um, it, man, if Boston wins tomorrow, we might not be looking at a a very long series. Wow, Robert Williams is plus twenty one. Calvin doesn't like the plus minus, but uh, it's, it's useful it's in some stat. circumstances. It's not my favorite stat, but yeah, it's it's a tough one. All right, moving on here. Let's talk about the Phoenix Suns. They're in the news again, not for uh, blowing uh, <laughs> their leads this time. Uh, this time is actually giving them, I guess, an out, you would say. Apparently, the Suns were dealing with a COVID outbreak during the last series. Uh, six personnel and one player tested positive either right before or right after game seven. Um, Calvin, what are your thoughts here? Um, my thoughts are exactly that, that this sounds like an excuse. Uh, I mean, did it have an effect on the team? Yeah, I'm sure it had to have had an effect. Ask the Clippers. But, well, yes, but <laughs> that's the difference, though. The Clippers lost their best player, uh, I mean, without yeah. Kawhi because he was already not going to play, right? Yeah. Chris Paul played in Game 7, yes. We don't know if he was sick or not. Devin Booker played. played in Game yeah. 7, yes. Yeah. DeAndre Ayton played in Game 7, yeah. yes. Maybe not as much half, as you would have wanted him to play, but he played. Uh, Mikhail Bridges played in yeah. Game 7, right? So th those guys were all on the court. And it's just like, whether it's an injury or an illness, um, if you suit up, are, are you going to be affected? Depending on the severity of your injury, illness, and, and who you are and how you deal with pain and, and sickness and all that stuff, yes, you are. But like any athlete will tell you, if you put on the uniform and you step on the yep. floor or the field. Michael Jordan flu you're, game. You're there. you you got to <laughs> perform. So I, I don't buy too much into this, oh, the son, the Suns had, you know, assistant coaches and uh, trainers and whatever that were out with COVID. That's why they got blown out in game seven. They, they just didn't play well enough. Yeah. I mean, I would say it's it was game three when you really started to notice a difference in the team, right? They won the first two games, then they lost two in a row in Dallas, and then just, you know, they won one more game after that, but they didn't look the same. They looked like something had happened, right? We were, we were trying to figure out what it was, if it was Chris Paul, if it was like team chemistry, or if there was some kind of event going on. Mm -hmm. or, or what happened, but they just look like a completely different team. I don't want to speculate anything here and say the teams weren't testing and all this stuff, but COVID outbreak for the entire team could answer some of those questions as far of like, 
why they didn't look prepared, why they looked tired, why they didn't look like full energy. I'm not going to say that's what happened, but it would help explain some of those things. It, it helps, but again, it just sounds like an excuse to me. Yeah. And then, like, wouldn't we have seen and let's, somebody let's on the Mavericks get it? They or? were up 2-0 in this series. This yeah. series should, or that series, should not have gone to a Game 7. They let the Mavericks get back into that, and then, oh, we, we've got COVID. That's why we lost Game 7. Yeah, and we don't even know who leaked this report or what's right. going on. I guess the NBA is investigating to see if they were following testing protocols. Uh, but pretty, pretty interesting. Pretty interesting. Progressive G, I'm curious to know why you think that the plus-minus stat is more useful in an NBA Finals game as opposed to another playoff game or any game, for that matter. And Robert Williams will be the next or could be the next Ben Wallace. I like that comparison, actually. I like that comparison a lot. I love Ben Wallace. Ben Wallace was so much fun to watch. Just a guy that, like, yes, there was a lot of things that Ben Wallace couldn't do, but I like players like that, like Dennis Rodman, where it's like you were so good at the things you could do that people didn't care about the things you couldn't do. Right. That's how good you were. You were that much of a specialist. It was really, really cool to watch. So, Suns COVID outbreak doesn't matter, right? Not notable. Not to me, anyway. Okay. Uh, well, I mean, it mattered. It would matter if Chris Paul, Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton had to miss the game. Yeah. Because they were out with COVID. Well, Chris Paul's a little older. You know, they say older people are more affected by oh COVID. My, he's right? not that old. <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> he's looking pretty old out there. All right, moving on. LeBron James is in the news again. This time it's not for FOMO for not being in the NBA playoffs. <laughs> this time he's talking about owning an NBA team, which not the first time he's talked about that. We just found out like a few days ago he's officially a billionaire and what was the first thing we talked about? What team, team is he going to buy? Yeah. And we went and we looked down the whole list and we're like, could he afford this team? Could he afford this team? He didn't have enough money for any of those teams <laughs> outright. LeBron, the ultimate problem solver, might have solved his own problem, Calvin. (laughs) LeBron wants an expansion team, and he wants it to be in? Viva Las Vegas. Viva Las Vegas. How incredible is that? So we've already heard David Stern, or no, sorry, not David Stern, Adam Silver, David Stern, rest in peace. We've already seen Adam Silver talk about league expansion and potentially naming two potential expansion teams it looks like one of those teams is already taken. LeBron's got dibs on it. What does that mean? <laughs> well, I don't think he has dibs on it. Um, but, look, LeBron is a smart guy. I mean, there's no other way f- for me to say it. it. It makes a lot of sense to own an NBA franchise from a financial standpoint. Yes. And the the potential or, you know, uh, we've seen – since Vegas got a hockey team and now a football team that they have absolutely blown up. And so it it makes total sense to want the NBA franchise that's going to be in Las Vegas. Yeah. It's it's a great move. I think everyone was worried about if a team was in Vegas that there would be some kind of illegal things or gambling or something. Sports betting is legal now. Yeah, we've had two teams. We've had two teams. 
that have moved to Vegas, and they have shown us that uh, it's going to be okay. Vegas isn't that bad. Oh, it's better than okay. Yeah. I, I mean, the, I still haven't been to see a Vegas Golden Knights game, but from I know people that have, and I, I know a lot of really big hockey fans, and they say – that that is the best place you can go to watch a hockey. We should have gone when we were there. We should have gone. We should have. We were too busy with those those drinks with the long straws <laughs> and all those, man. That was a fun time. But as Calvin mentioned, we are sponsored by Bet Us. So please, if you are a sports better, go in the description down below. There is a link to sign up with Bet Us. You get 125% on your first deposit. And uh, if you need any advice, not financial advice, but just fun gambling advice, feel free to let us know in the chat what you have your eyes on. I think that'd be really cool, Calvin, to have LeBron owning a team in Las Vegas. I think it would be pretty awesome. The only thing I could really think of is like, okay, well, expansion, it takes a few years, right? And Michael Jordan has an expansion team, right? Maybe that's yeah. where LeBron got the idea. But LeBron's career is seeming to come to an end here pretty soon. Could this be a lined up where it's like LeBron plays two or three more years with the Lakers and then he retires to own his own team? Perhaps. Storybook ending? Perhaps. Le LeBron, uh, you know, is one of a f very select few group of people on this earth that kind of controls his own destiny at this point. Maybe yeah. not in terms of um, like winning championships or anything like that. But everything he does after basketball, the world's at his fingertips. Can he get the Vegas team going in time to draft Bronny James? <laughs> I don't think that's going to – well, a lot of that depends on the league, right? LeBron yeah. doesn't have very much control over when the, the league expands and adds these teams. But, but he could tell Bronny, hey, go back to school one more year, man, he or could. go back to school he for could. two more years. I'm working that's on something true. over here. He could very much. But he also said he wants to play with Bronny. True, so true. in that scenario, you don't want him to go back to school. You want him to get in there as so quickly as he can. Bronny signs or gets drafted by the Lakers, plays one year <laughs> with LeBron, and then LeBron and gets then, his own team and trades and for him. Drafts or expansion drafts Bronny oh, yeah. off of the Wow. That would be crazy. But hey, we're in the crazy new future. <laughs> I, I swear like five years ago, ten years ago, half the things that are going on nowadays blew my mind so it's it's definitely possible all right calvin let's jump here into the mock draft <laughs> i said a mock draft because there's so many different ones i'm going off tankathon here one of my favorite websites because i'm a king's fan and we're always tanking or at least in the lottery so i kind of want to go over the top five picks here uh, get your thoughts on each of these players and then we'll wrap up the show with q a because we have to get on royal rebounds for some king's coverage so, this is the draft or the mock draft that you and I have been looking at for the past week and a half, maybe two weeks or so. There hasn't been much movement lately. We got the Magic drafting uh, Jabari Smith, number one. Chet Holmgren going number two to Oklahoma City. Uh, Paulo Bonchero going third to the Rockets. Jaden Ivey going fourth to the Sacramento Kings. And Shaden Sharp is projected at pick number five to the Detroit Pistons. Let's talk about pick number one, Calvin. Is it a lock? Is it Jabari Smith? Is he the perfect player for the Orlando Magic? It's it's definitely not a lock. Um, I think the if you want to continue down the betting route, the he is the odds-on favorite right now. I think he's like minus 300 to go number one. 
Um, and typically the, the guy that ends up being the odds favorite does end up getting drafted number one. And it does make a lot of sense for Orlando to take him. Um, but, it, you know, as we've seen plenty of times in any professional sports league draft, there's there could be a shakeup. Uh, they could decide to go with Holmgren instead. I, I think it's it, it's very uh, important to note here that the, the consensus top two picks are similar types of players. I mean, one, you, you know, they definitely have different skill sets when you really break it down, but they're both big guys that can shoot it really well and project to be really solid defenders, one better maybe on the perimeter and one better as a rim protector, mm-hmm. but both project to be really solid defenders. So it that kind of throws more question into this. It's like it's more about a fit for the team than it is which individual player do you want because both of them possess a lot of the same skills. Uh, it still seems to be that Jabari Smith is the favorite, though, to go number one. I like Jabari Smith a lot. I was up late last I love night him. watching a bunch of his footage, and I was like, dude, if this guy falls to two or three, somebody's getting an absolute stud. His perimeter defense is incredible, uh, shoots the ball really well, like you mentioned. The dude reminds me a little bit of a Jaron Jackson Jr. Do you have a guy that he reminds you of? Well, he's a much better shooter than Jaron yeah. Jackson. And Jaron Jackson Jr. is a streaky shooter. He can get hot. Um, but Jabari Smith's form for a guy at 6'10 is picture perfect. Uh, he's got a beautiful turnaround fadeaway as well. I don't, I don't know. I, I mean, Jaron Jackson Jr. is a much better interior defender, too. Mm-hmm. So well, that's the I thing see, with Jabari I see a little Smith, bit of a comparison, right? There, was but. he played with what Walker Kessler? Yeah, who was like leading in blocks. So like he didn't yeah. really get a lot of opportunities to be the main guy inside. That's true. I, I also don't. I think because he's able to for a guy at six ten with that wingspan and able to move his feet as well as he does, you'd rather have him, um, you know, guarding wing players as opposed to trying to be hang back and be a rim protector. I think he's better served out, yeah. outside, but just like he is offensive, offensively. Um, where his game has to grow is shot creation, becoming more of the, the go-to guy. Right yeah. now he's a beautiful spot-up shooter, and if you get him the ball within the offense uh, you know, on a catch-and-shoot situation, he knocks down threes you know, over 40% of the time. But to take that next step and be an elite player mm-hmm. or the number one pick in the draft, you know, the type of player that we think deserves that calling, he's got to add more uh, off the dribble or post moves, just more ways to create his own shot. Yeah, the only concerns I really had about him was decision-making deci- uh, decision ability and passing because he threw a lot of questionable passes. Yes. Um, but yeah. do you have any player comparison? I'll have to think more about that. Okay. We'll, we'll definitely come back there. All right. Number two, let's talk about Chet Holmgren. Very, very exciting prospect. Average 18.9 points per game, 13.3 rebounds, 2.6 assists, and an amazing 4.9 blocks per game and 1.1 steals uh, last season for Gonzaga. Incredible player. It says he's listed at seven foot. Everything I was reading was saying that he's like seven two with like a seven six wingspan. Yeah, and I, I don't remember his reach. It was incredible. Yeah, it's enormous. Um, but this guy to me seems like the highest risk and the highest reward as far as these top like four or five guys here. 
he's skinny. We hear all the people talking about he needs to fill out. He's less than 200 pounds, all this stuff. They said that about KD. They said that about Brandon Ingram, that these guys were too skinny and they were going to last in the league. So we've definitely seen guys that have made it work. Chet's a very strong guy. So, you know, we've seen him uh, be very effective inside. But this dude, for me, like I said, is just the highest risk, highest reward. He's like a unicorn. He's amazing at what he can do, and he can do so many different things. But I do have some concerns with his game. What about you? Well, I think there are a lot of players or several players in this draft that would be much more of a high-risk pick than Chet Holmgren. In the top five? Yes. Jaden Ivey would be one of them. Okay. Shaden Sharp would be another one. Um, This guy, he – this really for me the only concern is the size and I only say that as a concern because you know we saw in a couple matchups this year I think they played Memphis and Jalen Duran who is a beast of a man uh, really really took advantage of him on the block inside and that's the type of player that he's going to play against every day in the NBA now his skill set also gives him the ability to find ways around that right like He's good enough that he can extend on the perimeter, moves his feet really well. He's a, a really good ball handler and passer for a guy over seven feet. Mm-hmm. I think the comparison for him is actually Kevin Durant. He's a little bit bigger and a better shot blocker than Kevin Durant. But in terms of what they do offensively, um, there are very few people that size that can dribble the ball and pull up and shoot with a good-looking jump shot like yeah. those two guys can. So uh, this guy, uh, to me, he's the clearly the top prospect in this draft. And if he falls to two, whether or not Oklahoma City stays there at two, whoever ends up picking at that spot is going to get a really, really legit player. Yeah, yeah, I think he's going to be an incredible player as well. Just the health concerns with the size is, yeah. is my only concern, yeah. which – can be a huge concern, right? Because we talk right. about the best ability. Bull, bull, bull right? Is like, availability. So That guy has actually a lot of the same skill set as Chet Holmgren. Bull, yep. bull does. Yep. Really good ball handler for somebody that size. Good outside shooter. Good uh, shot blocker. Mm-hmm. But his problem has been that he can't yep. stay on the court. So, Yeah, I think he's a free agent this offseason also. All right, let's dive in to the third prospect from Duke. Paulo Bonchero, 6'10", power forward. Take it away, Cal. Uh, Bonchero might be the most skilled offensive player, especially for the big men in this whole class. Like, he he makes it look effortless at times. Um, He can run an offense at at 6'10", great ball handler, beautiful shot. Really, really skilled offensive player. The, the question marks with him are all on the defensive end of the floor. Uh, it's, you know, it's things like effort. A lot of the stuff that we talked about with Anthony Edwards coming out, you know, has definitely the, the athletic ability, the talent, the capability to be a really good two-way player, but just doesn't always show the, the awareness and the um, intensity and effort 100% of the time. Yeah. And the question is, how do you get that out of him? But I, I think... He's easily the third best player in this class, uh, and it should be a very simple choice for Houston at three with who they take. Yeah, I agree. Even I, I though th- I've heard all, some rumors that they like Jaden Ivey a lot. Okay. 
um, and they're starting to lean. I've heard Oklahoma City likes Jaden Ivey as well, so which could be a reason why they're you have this rumor that they're moving down to four, and the Kings up to two because they think Ivy might be there at four instead. Interesting. Yeah, Boncaro is definitely the most NBA ready prospect out of these top three guys, in my opinion. I think he's got the body to play oh, eighty two sure games next season. Yeah. I saw somebody. I don't remember who it was Alvin. Uh, or somebody was comparing him to a LeBron James type body in terms of like his readiness and ability to play. Not as good of a three point shooter as the other two guys uh, that we just talked about, yeah. but I, I do like Can him. Shoot it, but yeah, I do like him. I think we'll, he'll have a productive NBA career. Uh, but yeah, I see him as kind of like the second tier past Smith and yeah. uh, Holmgren. Yeah. Wow. There's a lot of good guys in this draft. Let's talk about Jaden Ivey. A lot He's of next. incredibly versatile. I mean, it just shows you the direction uh, that the yep. NBA is going in terms of talent, right? Like all these guys, uh, especially the wings in this class, like the, the their ability to guard positions one through four, some of them one through five in mm -hmm. today's NBA. Uh, they can shoot from outside. They can play inside. They move well off the ball. Like it's just a really, really versatile type player that's available in this class. Yeah, next up is Jaden Ivey. He's projected to go to the Sacramento Kings with pick number four. He's the oldest of the four prospects we've discussed so far uh, at 20 years of age, 19.8 points per game, 5.6 rebounds, 3.5 assists. Has played incredible in, uh, in college. He seems to be a little bit more ball dominant than some of the other guards that I've seen. Uh, what are your thoughts on Jaden Ivey? Incredible, incredible athlete. Um, like you mentioned, yes, maybe a little more ball dominant. Needs it, If he was to go to a team that had a, a, a legit point guard or a guy that, that uh, handles the ball predominantly for them, he would definitely have to become a better uh, catch-and-shoot player. But he cuts really well. He moves well without the ball. And that athletic ability, um, you know, is is kind of the, the trump card there, right? Mm-hmm. Not for somebody who is one of the top, you know, two or three athletes in the draft. He's not an elite defender yet. Certainly has the capability to do so. But in order for him to come out being, you know, an all-star type level player from this class, he's got to be a better defender overall. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a, a lot of great highlights to watch of Jaden's. Um, not a lot of things he can't do on the offensive end of the floor like to shoot, see him shoot the three ball a little bit better, but he's played incredibly well. Uh, and I think he is well deserving of, of, you know, three through five, maybe pick wise. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I think there are some, there are a lot of NBA executives out there that consider him the third best player in this draft with perhaps the, some of the highest upside. And apparently he doesn't want to go to Sacramento or Oklahoma City. So interesting there. Because no one cares about that. <laughs> he prefers. That's what he says. He prefers to go to Detroit at pick number five for some reason. Speaking of Detroit, they do have the fifth pick, and they are projected to take Shaden Sharp out of Kentucky, uh, although he did not play at Kentucky. You want to <laughs> fill us in here, Cal? Well, yeah, he didn't actually step on the floor during a – an actual game for Kentucky. I, he did. He was part of the team, but um, Shaden Sharp again. This might be one of the highest upsides in the draft. It's also maybe the biggest mystery in the draft. An incredibly athletic wing player, 
with tons of potential. One of the younger players in this draft, too, so there's all the upside available. Great outside shooter. Um, this is one of those, like, swing for the fences type picks if you take yeah. Shaden Sharp. Yeah, yeah, this guy, sky the limit is like you because said. You, you could hit a grand slam here, but you could also strike out. Yeah, yeah, he could be the best player on your team in two years, or he could be off your team yeah. in two years. Drafting a guy that hasn't played in a while is always difficult. And, uh, like, you know, we talk about what translates from college to the NBA. Well, what translates from high school <laughs> to the NBA, right? Because we haven't really seen much out of this guy. But things we have seen out of him are really, really incredible. Yeah, and he had some really good workouts, you know, post uh, post the college season and leading up to the combine and all that stuff. Um, so he's definitely done enough to impress some people. But the thing about this draft is picks three through uh, ten, really, there's a lot of the same type of player available. Mm-hmm. And all of these guys, while some of them have an incredible amount of potential – you know, there's no clear-cut favorite in here. So it's really going to depend on the the teams, the, the franchise is picking, what they feel is the best fit for them. Are yep. they going to go best available? Are they going to trade the pick? You know, anywhere from four to eight right now, all four of those picks could change. Like, Indiana's rumored to be moving back in the draft. Uh, a lot of people like Malcolm Brogdon, so they're they're going after him. The Kings are rumored to be moving maybe up or down. Uh, d- you know, no one knows what Detroit will do. The Blazers are also a, kind of a wild card there. So, and then New Orleans at eight is one of the only teams that maybe doesn't have to draft a starter because mm-hmm. their starting lineup is really solidified right now. So, do they decide to move out of the top ten as well? Do you expect to see any movement here in the top five? Or, like, would you yes. predict any moves to happen here? Yes, I would. I think the Kings are the, the number one pick right now for me in terms of a team that's going to move. I don't know whether it'll be up or down, but I, I expect them to not be in the four slot picking. All right, and we'll and, talk and about Indiana that. Indiana would be another one for and me. We'll talk about that on Royal Rebounds shortly, so make sure you guys stay tuned for that. We'll go over... The entire Sacramento Kings roster. We'll talk about some of these draft picks and where they fit in. So make sure you guys stay tuned for that. I think it's time for Q&A. So if you guys have any questions, feel free to drop them in the chat. We got answers, and we're happy to uh, discuss any of those things. Real quick for you, Calvin. Have you seen Hustle? I haven't, but I am definitely going to watch it. I just found out that it's out on, it's on Netflix. Netflix. Yeah. And, yeah, I'm I'm definitely watching it. We watched it last night. It was pretty good. I'm looking forward to it. It was pretty good. Adam Sandler does a great job. Uh, Juan Herning Gomez looks like an NBA superstar. It's amazing right. what they can do uh, with camera work because you're watching him. <laughs> and you're is like, a skilled player. He like, is, but you're watching like they it. just grabbed a scrub you yeah. know, out of nowhere and said, hey, you, you come play basketball. But you're watching it, and you're like, wow, this guy is, like, the best guy in the <laughs> league. He's incredible. He's going to take the league by storm. Not to spoil it, because it's a real-life story, and we already know what happens. Mm-hmm. He uh, ends up on the Boston Celtics, who are in the finals now. But he's not on the Boston Celtics anymore, because he just got traded. So He's been moved around a few times. Also, Bobon's in the movie as well. So, Did you like Anthony Edwards' performance? Everybody's been raving yeah. about how good he was. Yeah, he, he killed it. And I was like, that that's Anthony Edwards. I was like, what is he doing in here? <laughs> He's a complete asshole, but he does a great yeah. job. 
Great job. He's a good asshole. We got to see Boban play. Uh, he was uh, 22, he said. He's like, I am 22. And they see his son, who's super tall. And they're like, how old is your son? He's like, 10. He's 10. <laughs> Hilarious movie. If you guys have not seen Asha it. I Asha loved that. Make sure you check it out. Yeah, she definitely, definitely did. All right. Progressive G says, I'm just saying that if the plus and minus stat is going to be relevant, the NBA Finals is the most relevant place to use it because it is the most important basketball competition. I agree with that. The problem with the plus or minus, though, is that people tend to fall into a trap and think about how it, the plus or minus evaluates an individual player. They put too much emphasis on it, in my opinion. Yes, you you can learn something about a player from a plus or minus stat, but the thing about plus or minus is it's so dependent on the yeah. entire team. Four what, other guys. what happens with the, the total team for the entire uh, number of minutes that that player is on the court? Yes, Robert Williams has a great impact defensively, which is why you know your plus minus would be on the positive side because you're not allowing teams to score. But the reason it's so high is because other players score for him. Yeah. He, he's not the one that does all the scoring. So it's, it's a give and take, but I, I think that, it's, uh, that people put too much emphasis on it for an individual stat. Yeah, and, and he goes on to say, I don't think the plus and minus is the end all, uh, but it's one of many relevant metrics, which, yeah, I get, I get, it is. And like Calvin's point, there's four other guys on the court at the same time on your team. And then there's five other guys on the other team. Like, if I'm playing against Kevin Durant, but I'm on the court every time he's on the bench, is that going to affect my plus minus? Yes. Versus, like, am I in control? of when Kevin Durant's on the court, even if I'm not guarding him, if I'm all the way on the other side of the court, he's on fire. That affects my plus minus. So it's, it's a tough stat. I feel like plus minus is more effective when you use it in terms of like in a whole team perspective, like, like the team was the team's plus minus with the starters on the court versus the team's plus minus with the bench on the court. Or like you can see certain runs in games where it's like, okay, we're getting blown out here, and then we put Juan Hernan Gomez on the court, <laughs> and we're on a 15-0 run here, and his plus-minus is incredible, Yeah, which not all that's him, but it, it definitely can show a little bit of that. So, Sure. Shout-out to Juan Hernan Gomez. But I, I will agree with Progressive G in the, the sense of once you get to a stage like the NBA Finals, your rotation – usually for the most part is much shorter you're you're going to play your best players a ton of minutes right so that uh kind of evens out the discrepancies you might have in yeah. plus or minus like you were talking about where somebody like Lil Sweet Jose Grand Theft Alvarado comes in for 5 minutes and he he picks Chris Paul's pocket twice and has like a plus you know 11 yeah, yeah. plus minus Killing rating it. but he Killing was only it. out there for 5 minutes yeah best plus minus there is also says, you guys were right about Wiggins. He went for over 23, like Barry called yesterday. I think a few guys all hit the overs. I yeah. said Clay Thompson. I don't yep. know what the final line was, but I'm pretty sure he went over as well. He was over. He was over. Yeah. The only guy that wasn't over was Tremont Green. Yeah. <laughs> he was over the foul he limit. He was over the foul limit. That's, That's right. That's funny. All right. Any last questions before we end the show here? Uh, we got to get 
all prepped and ready for Royal Rebound. So hopefully you guys will be able to join us on that in about 20 minutes. If you do not know about Royal Rebounds or have not been to the channel, all you need to do is just go to our channel here, Basketball at the Bar, click on the home button, and you will see a link to Royal Rebounds. It is our Sacramento Kings only channel. If you're listening to this on your favorite podcast platform, Royal Rebounds also has a podcast as well. So all you need to do is go to Amazon Music, iTunes, whatever you get your podcast on and type in Royal Rebounds and you will find us there. All right, Calvin, I think we're wrapping it up. Any uh, last words for you? Thanks for watching. We'll see you on the other channel. Thank you guys so much. We appreciate you taking the time out of your day to join us. Please hit that like button. Please hit that subscribe button. And please share this video and this channel with all your favorite basketball fans. Uh, we will see you all very soon. And don't forget to tip your bartender.